Hi, my name is Elizabeth Agabi. I'm the founder of Four Working Ladies, a platform for entrepreneurial and career-driven women. I'm on a mission to speak to like-minded businesswomen to get the inside story on their secret to success. And you're listening to our podcast, How I Made It Happen. Today I'm talking with Charlotte Williams, a London-based marketing consultant and founder of 76 Agency, a marketing agency that focuses on bringing a balance of diversity into influencer marketing campaigns and social media with brands. She's currently growing 76 Agency as a one-woman team but is surrounded by a team of freelancers who support her with her ongoing projects. In this show, we talk about how to get your first couple of clients as an agency, the importance of creating diverse marketing campaigns as a brand, and lastly, what to do when clients aren't paying on time. Here's Charlotte Williams. I hope you enjoy the show, and if you do, please do leave a rating. So I started my marketing career with a few internships, paid and unpaid. Back in the day, you didn't have to be paid for internships, which was interesting um and then I started my first like I'd say real marketing job in e-learning which is really random considering what I do now but um so the best job ever I got to go to America every three months for work and training and they basically just trained me up to be like this awesome e-learning marketer and then um after a couple of years I left which was very sad for the people that put a lot of time and effort into my training but I think it was time to move on because I always wanted to work in like the fashion industry or something a little bit more aligned with my personal um, interests um, so then I moved to Hello Kitty and I was there for just over two years that as their European marketing manager and we focused on collaborations so we collaborated with brands like Converse and OPI, ASOS, Bershka, Pell and Bear, like anyone you could ever imagine um, Hello Kitty did a collaboration and is still doing collaborations with them. And yeah, so after Hello Kitty, I was invited, well, whilst I was at Hello Kitty, I was invited to join Moir Nails as their marketing and events manager. So I was there for a brief stint. And again, it was focused on events and collaborations. And I really enjoyed my time there because it was a really interesting space because it was a tiny, tiny team of like three people. Um, doing big things, working with amazing brands. But then the focus was all around womanhood. And something yeah. that was really strange was everyone in the company, for me, everyone in the company was a woman. I didn't have a day-to-day um, with any males for the whole time I was there. And that was very different. And it was a yeah a different kind of space. And I thought that was really, really interesting. And I think that kind of molded me into working pretty much, I think, like 90 5% of the people I work with are women now. And I think that's come from working with WAH. So then with WAH, um, I got the the feeling to go freelance. They really pushed that whole entrepreneurial side. I think Sharma Dean is a very entrepreneurial woman. Yeah. And just working under her and seeing what she has accomplished and how she thinks just made me think, do you know what? Maybe I could start my own thing. And then um, I decided to go freelance with WAH as my first client okay. and then so I didn't leave I kind of left the parts of the job that I didn't really like and then continued um, and then I picked up some other clients which was surprisingly easy 
at the time. And I think my freelance story is really different to most people's I know. Yeah. Um, because I didn't uh, didn't really announce I was going freelance. I kind of just decided in my head, put my out of office on in moi, and then went to an event. It was one of Charmadine's be- first beauty sack events. And my first client happened to have been there. And she was like, oh, what are you doing? I'd known her for years um, in the hair care space. And she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, well... I've just gone freelance as of Monday. I think it was like Thursday. I've just gone freelance as of Monday. And she was like, oh my God, I need someone to work with me on a freelance basis. Can you come in from next month? I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then the next week I got an email from another hair care brand that I'd worked with because I have a blog um, on the blogging side for years. And she was like, I just got you out of office at WA. You're freelance now. I've been waiting for this day forever. And then she was like, can you... Um, come and do some bits with me and I was like yeah great this is fantastic and that kept happening so I think it was really great because I was using the context that I had but I didn't really announce that I was yeah you know starting a business I just kind of fell into it fell into it and I think that was a fun way of of starting my freelance and yeah business owning career yeah and and so now you've gone from being a freelancer yep. to now owning an agency. Yes. So how did that transition happen and what's really the difference between the two? That's a really interesting question cuz <laughs> I'm not sure if I know. Um <laughs> so I I would say that my freelancing life I was doing kind of more ad hoc marketing tasks like what was needed and I think for me the just the difference between freelance Charlotte and then 76 agency is just the types of projects that we take on okay. so with uh, yeah my freelance jobs I was doing um working with clients some some clients on a monthly basis helping them with social media or events but it was very it was quite informal to be honest whereas with 76 I have um a few clients on retainer um we have a bit of a vision. So the whole idea of 7-6 is that we are a marketing agency, first and foremost, but something that we really focus on is the fact that there is a lack of diversity in the influencer marketing industry. So I'm really trying to change that and make sure that whoever I work with, they understand that that's an issue. And then they have this amazing network that they can tap into and then um, create communities within their brands that are diverse in all senses of the word. Yeah. And do you feel that your experience as a former blogger and influencer has impacted or should I say has made you make this decision of focusing on diversity within your agency? 150%. Yeah. Throughout, I've been really, really lucky with my blogging. I've always, it's always been on the back burner. It's never been my focus. I've never wanted to be like a full-time influencer or a blogger, but I've always had it on the side. And that's always helped with whichever company I've worked with, with um, building communities and building networks because I've got that network myself. Mm. So I've always loved that. But something I, I've worked with some really amazing brands in my like 10 years of blogging. And I'm always a bit like, whoa, I can't believe, you know, I've worked with these people, even when I was really tiny. Um, and I know in my heart of hearts, a lot of it is because it, it's a bit of a tokenism kind of thing. They couldn't find anyone mm. that really filled the gap. And it's really horrible to say, but that is just the fact. Um, I know a lot of the PRs in the industry because I've, you know, I've worked with them maybe at Hello Kitty, freelance. So they know me. Um, I fit into a certain category. I do like high end high street 
luxury beauty, clean beauty. So I'm kind of like an easy one to just like, oh, she can come to the event. And there are lots of times where I'd be that person at the event that is the only representative of people of colour in the whole room. Not just like black women, but just like anyone who is not white. So that has always been quite a struggle. Um, It's got better as, as time has gone on. But in the last couple of years, I'd noticed it and there have been events that I've been to and I've actually left feeling quite upset. Like I, I, I remember yeah. leaving one event last year and I cried because I was just so taken aback at how there were 40 women in the room and I was the only person of colour. Like there was no one yeah. in that room apart from a server, someone who was serving drinks. And I was like, wow, you couldn't find anyone. And then also mm. I've had friends who have the same experience. They might be the, you know, the only plus size person in the room. They might be the only LGBTQ representative. They might be, again, the only other person of colour. And bearing in mind, I'm mixed race, light skin, with like l- tight curls actually, but, you know, curly hair, not Afro. So I'm not, you know, the full represent- representative of black people. Yeah. So it's just a bit like, oh, come on, guys. There are so many people that I know that you could have invited to this event. It's not that difficult. Mm. If you don't have access to them, why is that? And then I thought about that and I was like, oh, that's actually a business opportunity. If they don't have access to these people, most of these people, I could, I have such a diverse network of friends that are happened to be influencers or people of influence. I was like, I could just, this is just a business. I can do this. My friends want work. This is what they do. Let's just kind of like piece it together. So that's, yeah, where it started through anger and opportunity, I guess. And what do you think the problem is with brands? Why is it that their campaigns aren't diverse? Like, what is the problem exactly? Because I just can't seem to understand why they're struggling (laughs) to reflect what society actually looks like. I personally think it stems down from the hiring process. Because if we think Mm. about, and any you know, company I've worked for has been pretty much the same, apart from WA. WA was very different. The whole kind of management and senior management team, as small as we were, were all black women bar one um and that was really different but if you look if you go into pretty much any brand or any agency's office and you go to see their marketing and PR team they don't look like us Mm. generally or there might be one of us um and we're not in a senior role and it stems from I think certain women who have um a certain outlook on life being in charge of like being the decision maker So if you look around, think about your Instagram. So if we were to look through our Instagram to be just to scroll through and see who we, to see who's on our feed, mine is full of curly haired mixed race girls that look kind of like me, but maybe slightly prettier or have slightly better hair that I want to kind of aspire to look like. Mm. Um, Business women that I want to aspire to be like, and that could be any race. And then, you know, a few of my friends. Yeah. And I have a very diverse friendship group in terms of what they look like, but not everyone does. So it's some of these girls, if you think about them putting a campaign together, and I have, I've had it many times with clients where they'll put a list together and then you'll look at it and they'll look exactly like the person they've just that's picked, put it together. Yeah, yeah. And they've most probably just picked people that who they would put in their friendship circle. Exactly. And they haven't really put much thought into, okay, how does this represent, you know, all the people that we're marketing to? Exactly. And then if they do put in, um, no, this isn't, this is a real generalisation because there are some brands and agencies doing a good job at this. But... Um, and then if you think about the ones that are doing the job of making it a little bit more diverse, they are pretty much using the exact same people. Mm. So there are a few, you know, 
young black girls that are on every list that go to every event that are like the tick box and they're amazing I'm not saying they're not amazing at what they do but there are more girls out there women out there that do that but they are the ones that are you know being picked and then and is that because of a status thing so maybe these particular women have a large following no no some of them don't even have a large following I think they've just been the agencies and brands have picked them up they're like okay cool yeah that's you know that's our black girl okay that's our you know shaved head black girl that's our you know mixed race black girl then we've got the Asian girl, you know, the sporty girl, this, you know, we've got the fa- the fat girl, we've got this with this, you know, girl who has a um, maybe like disease, but she's kind of pretty. So it's fine. Yeah. You know, they kind of tick the boxes. Mm. Um, it's very terrible for me to say. But, you know, I think tick boxing can actually be a good thing sometimes. Yeah. I don't believe that tick boxing is bad, but I just think that in our industry, it's, it's kind of looking a bit boring because you go to an event and it's the same people of colour in the room who get invited to the same things. But then if you look at the non-people of colour, it's just like this massive like sea of them that yeah. get invited and they're in their own way diverse because there's lots of different, they do all do different things, but there's only a handful of people, you know, that look like me and you or, you know, some of my friends or my cousins that, you know, are seen by yeah. brands. So I think that's an issue and... It's something that can be easily changed. There are lots of panel talks about diversity that go on and on. And I'm glad that it's a conversation that we're having. But something I've found is there's lots of talks about it. But actually, when you listen to what's being said, there is no solution there. Yeah. Um. So when you're sitting in the panel and you're, you're hearing what they're saying, you're like, yeah, totally, I totally understand. But are these like brand owners and agency owners leaving and being like, cool, so now what we need to do is X, Y, Z, or we need to maybe hire someone in our team? Because I always say, you know, to brands, if you want to do influencer marketing and none of you have experience in that, why don't you, then you can't afford to work with an agency or whatever, why don't you consult an influencer that fits in with your brand and kind of use their what you know what they have, um, and work with them on that. Um, so the same could be you know if you have a you know really poor diversity and inclusion um, situation in your office, why don't you get someone in to kind of help with that? But there's a lots of things that can be done. I just think people need to be a little bit more proactive and kind of say not just say that things need to be done and you know say they're working on things but actually back to the make core some change. make some change yeah. yeah so I think brands are beginning to notice that you know it's more than just selling a good product um, and they yeah. now see that consumers are interested in what the company's values are you know are you a sustainable brand are you you know creating sustainable products um, and also things like who are you hiring and then also looking at oh do people in the campaign look like me mm-hmm. but a couple of years ago consumers weren't thinking like that no I definitely wasn't saying oh but there's no one in that campaign that looks like me I just wasn't aware yeah. so what do you think has created this changing the attitude from the consumer's point of view what has made us more aware or what people would call woke yeah I think it's social media but saying that I have always been really (laughs) um aware that there are people that don't look like me like it's something I've always said like that's great but like is that for me because I can't see anyone that looks like me in that so I think I'm maybe this is why I do the job I do because I've always been super like hypersensitive about it. Um, but I know that people maybe have, but um, we just kind of get on with life. 
Mm-hmm. I think I'm a big complainer, so I, I've enjoyed it. But um, also, things have changed. Everyone is woke because everyone has access to social media. <laughs> social media has really changed the game, especially over the last few years. Yeah, I agree. So we've got access, like literally thumb access to yeah. everything. Given us a platform also to have a voice. Yes, exactly. Whereas before, some of us didn't have access to things like, you know, the media, which was like journalists and stuff, which is really the only platform that we could say, okay, I have this story, I want you to share it. You can create your own platform now. You have your Twitter account, which can, you know, be a platform for you to voice whatever it is that you are interested in or what you're standing for, or even your Instagram or YouTube or podcast you know we have all these platforms that are giving us voices so I guess that's what it is really it really is because we didn't have that before Mm. and if you think about Twitter Twitter's been around for so long but I think it's only recently that people have taken note like imagine like black Twitter for example Mm. it's its own little segment that Mm. I don't think anyone like realized was there outside of black Twitter for a really long time and I think maybe like someone just like picked it up and was like, oh, what, what's going on here? Mm. And now everyone knows what Black... I think everyone knows what Black Twitter is. Yeah. Um, Twitter did an event last night, which was for Black I was supposed to attend Twitter. that. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I heard about that. Um, and some companies have picked it up and have yeah. realised that um, this particular segment in itself is a business opportunity. Yeah. So I don't know if you've heard of Blavity. Yeah. They're based in the States, which is founded by Morgan DeBorn. Her All her media content is focused on black people, actually. Mm. And then even Refinery29. So they yeah. have, um, is it Unbothered? Unbothered, yeah. Unbothered. And out of their seven Instagram accounts, that was the fastest to grow. Oh, really? So, yeah, it was the fastest to grow. And I found that really interesting. Initially, they didn't do any brand partnerships because they didn't want it to seem like they were trying to profit off mm-hmm. a particular type of group of women. Um, but now they do. But I found it very interesting that that was their fastest growing um, social platform. Yeah. But then it it also showed that there was a need and a demand for content for people, for black women, because it's focused on black women. And the media just wasn't meeting that demand. And they were smart enough to say, you know what, let's create something for them. Yeah. So I found that really interesting. And yeah, so going back to the question, I guess the changing attitude from consumers has been people creating awareness about it through their platforms and, you know, agencies like yours as well also starting up. And there are a few of us. Yeah. 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 There are quite a few. Yeah. Um, Like I said, a few years ago, I wasn't thinking in this direction. Um, I was just buying the product. Yeah. And just thinking, yeah that's a nice top let me buy it and yeah kept it moving but now we're more focused on what does this company actually stand for yeah I think there's been so many examples of companies that we've been buying into for so long and then <laughs> the scandals come out and we're like oh actually why are we buying from this company mm. um so yeah so again it's just the media and the news and just having full access to everything yeah so going back um to starting 7-6 agency how did you go about getting your first couple of clients I know you said that you didn't make a formal announcement but you actually did a launch didn't you like yeah. a launch party I did um, I love a party um <laughs> did you pitch to anyone I mean I? Post- that's a good question yeah um, so when I first launched I think because I was pretty new to freelance life as it was anyway so when I first launched, I think I took, um, I launched in March 2019 and 
I just knew that I wanted to make a splash. Um, I think also March is my birthday month, so I think I wasn't even thinking business related. I was like, let's just have a party, you know, let's just have this launch, it'll be great. Um, and I just wanted to show people that I was there. Um, I had mm. no clients specifically for seven six at that time, and I hadn't even like finished my brand deck to be completely honest. But I was just like, cool, I'm gonna do this launch. So we did this launch party, like a self promo opportunity, basically. yeah, yeah. Um, and it was amazing. Um, not to toot my own horn, but I'm still having people come up to me and talk about the party. So I was really pleased with that because it was just a really good time. We had um, quite a lot of people there. You know, it was. I got some nice content. It, it was a really good day, mm. um, evening. Um, and then after that, I was like, cool, so I'm going to have to do some work now. How does this work? <laughs> um, and I think I, de- I went into being a business owner really blindly. <clears throat> I am lucky to have a few women um, within my friend and family group that own their own businesses. So they were really helpful in helping me like launch and asking questions. But I think when I first started, I wasn't entirely sure what I wanted the agency to be. Um, I knew influencer marketing. I had a background in it, but then I didn't have example. I found it really difficult to separate myself from the agency. I thought that I had mm. to be completely two different entities. So I um, didn't want to use any of my freelance work or like previous work as examples which is really strange because it's the only examples I would have had. So I don't know why my mind wouldn't connect the two. But I was like, no, so I'm just going to have to like just start working. So I pitched to a few like big companies, but friends to do some work and then kind of went from there and used them as examples. But it would have been a lot easier if I just put all my previous work in my brand. I just don't know why my mind didn't do that. But I think maybe I had a lot of lessons to learn. So Mm. I think I've learned so much. I can imagine. It's insane. And I'm now um, thinking about 2020 and what I want the agency to look like, um, the updates on our website, um, campaigns that we're doing, campaigns I want to pitch for. There's just a lot of opportunity. And and I think it's come through confidence Mm. because when I first started, I had massive imposter syndrome. I was just about to ask Yeah, I think it's like such a buzzword um, for entrepreneurs in general, but or term, but um, I really, really suffered from it and it really got me down. And I'm lucky to have a really amazing partner and he is always there to push me, but sometimes you kind of have to push yourself. And Mm. he was like, you're not an imposter because you've been doing this for like eight years. Like, just do your job. And I was just like, no, like I don't... have like strong enough examples of my work and da, 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 as seven six agency, but I did have examples of my work from all the other things I'd done, um, and, and that was from like the days that you used to blog and partner with brands as an individual. Yeah, and freelance life from like two months before launching the agency, and yeah. um, when I was at Wow, loads of projects I had, and Hello Kitty, like I had, I had, and I still do have loads of loads of content I can like push to be like this is what. I did as the you know owner of seven six but I don't know I just found it really difficult but now I'm yeah I think I'm way more confident and I know I I just think I understand exactly what it is I want to do and I think it has come from making friends in the industry with other business owners specifically women like yourself who I can turn to and be like hey what do you think about this or getting inspiration from what you're doing when I Mm. saw your new branding I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And that's when I was like, okay, cool, my website needs to be updated to represent like what it is that I want to do. Um, I have another friend who 
does a lot of events and my background is mainly events and I was like I just need to just do more and that's why I started doing more um a few months ago because I was like why don't I just do them I don't have to have like loads like a brand to give me all the money I can just get you know as much as I need for the event and just do it um as long as I'm you know making enough to survive I'm a small small company I don't have any um I don't have any like official team members I work with freelancers so I don't have a lot of outgoings so I was just like being constantly inspired by the people that I'm with has really helped me to develop not only my business mindset mindset but my confidence yeah and I love it and I think I'm in such a different place now to what I was a year ago to what I was maybe even six months ago three months ago so yeah things are yeah so I guess you're still at the stage of you know getting clarity in terms of the direction yeah that you want to go and think and and to be honest with each agency they have everyone has a different direction and and, yeah. and and with the way businesses are starting these days you can really curate your own business model such there's so so much room for innovation yeah um and you don't have to be like the traditional agency where you just have clients and you do this you could literally you know do what you want um yeah. especially as a solo founder and still being like the only person on your team um let's talk about money mm-hmm. um that's something that makes, I guess, um, small businesses and freelancers very anxious, mm. especially because clients don't pay on time. Um, <laughs> how are you navigating that? And also, did you decide to have, I think you answered this, but you had a steady income before you actually went freelance because yeah. you decided to um, go freelance with Warnells yeah. as opposed to be full-time, right? So I think that was a great decision to make. But how are you now managing clients who don't pay on time? And does your income differ every month? How does that oh, make yeah. you feel? Um, I think I've only just got to grips with this okay. because I was really lucky when I was just freelance and working with people that I knew and um, my client pool was a lot smaller. Um, mm. But I generally was just working with my friends. So... So they would pay on time, so I didn't have to worry. And then I started working with, you know, other agencies and other freelancers and really big businesses, and none of them pay on time. Like, yeah. it's shocking. Like I've My eyes are so wide, and I, I do understand on the smaller side if you haven't been paid by the client and then you have to wait for um, for the money to come in. But communication is so key, and I don't understand how you could not be paid for something and be waiting. And it's, you know, messing with your life, bills, you know, potential. I've heard people who have had their credit score completely ruined because oh they haven't been able yeah, to pay bills pay, on yeah. time, and their direct debits and stuff. Um, and it's shocking that there are people that just don't think about the consequences. Mm. And I always think about that when I whenever I get an invoice, I'm like, well, you know, this is the terms. I'll, I try to pay it, you know, touch wood everything's been fine so far but um you know pay things in the correct amount of time because they've put that time for a reason like if someone needs to be paid in 30 days they've you know forecasted that in 30 days time they're going to have that amount of money um and i find it i just i still don't understand and that is a problem with pretty much most people i've worked with and it stems down to the accounts teams um it's generally not the people that I'm generally, people that I'm working with closely um, mm. because they're, the invoices get paid by the account teams and it's just, you know, a complete disconnect. They just don't see you as a human. Um, 
But yeah, it's something I am still navigating, I'd say. I've got better at it because now I kind of know who will pay on time and I can kind of guess um, from working with people in the past. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm pretty sure that invoice is going to be late or if I do this, then maybe I should make sure that I have another invoice that might be 14 days just before. So Mm. that gives me a buffer. I think I've kind of figured out my way of navigating it to make sure that I have money in the account but I'm also quite lucky that I do quite a lot of different things so I have the agency but I also model and then I also um have my Instagram and I do paid collaborations through that so So you've got several streams of income yeah different streams of income but then how do you hope to then scale up seven six with this inconsistency from the clients because in order for you to scale up I'm assuming you just need people to actually more than one or two people to start paying on time that I have um, four clients on retainer okay, and they are all, one of them in particular, they're the largest company and they're just insane. They pay me a week early every month. Like, I've got so used to it now. I'm like, it's a dream for me. Yeah, people. the first time I was like, whoa, what's going on here? And then it just kept happening. So now I'm like, cool, I know that they are fine. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, the others so far we're we're doing okay Okay. so I think that has been the biggest help making sure that I have a consistent pool of um of clients and then when I do the other you know fun jobs or ad hoc tasks or maybe Mm. bigger ones but aren't in my like base strategy yeah that is the maybe inconsistent money that could go missing but I know now that I have you know the four that are on retainer yeah and they pay and we're sorted and that took a while because I had to get those clients in but now I'm like okay cool I that's why I'm saying I can see next year being um really exciting because I I kind of figured the money side out now a yeah which bit. is so important yeah for running a business um I just don't think a lot of people think about that no um, I didn't yeah. at all so now <laughs> yeah and so you've been working with freelancers in terms of like your campaigns that's how that's like your remote team, I yeah. assume. And so are you now hoping to go on to hire people yes. full time? I'd really like and, to. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of scale things up. Um, yeah. So what's going to be the defining factor for you to decide to move people from freelance to hiring full time? Is it just <laughs> going to be um, steady income or what's going to help you make that decision? It will be steady income. <clears throat> I think at the moment I'm looking for and I ch- every time I speak to someone about it, it changes because it's just, it's such a big step. It is a big step. But I work with freelancers on different projects. So one month it could be, you know, I needed them for a week. One month it could be, oh, I needed them for like one day or a couple of hours. So it it differs. Um, and I have an intern that I use. Um, she's at university and I use her now and again for, di- for different projects. And she's amazing because I could be like, okay, cool. We need to do some research on, you know, Gen Z tastemakers who are of influence but not influencers go and she'll like come up with like the most amazing people because she is gen z um and i'm hoping that i can she you know who you are but i'm hoping i can take her <laughs> and have her forever so i work with these people on like ad hoc tasks mainly or um or project basis but i'd really like to have someone that's still freelance so i don't have to like commit fully to that paye situation because i just don't think i'm mentally ready yeah prepared ready Mm. for it and I just don't think I'm grown up enough for it it's just having that responsibility really scares me so um 
I think I'm going to wait a little bit for that. But I'm, I want to hire someone on a freelance basis to be um, basically like a marketing assistant um, to just be my second person. Yeah. Um, because there are lots of times where I want someone to be there and it's not something I could pay a freelancer to do in that kind of sense to be like, oh, can you just sit with me, you know, at just work having, today yeah. and like do just some like random sense stuff. Of community around you yeah. as well and a team. Yeah, um, it's kind of like I want to pay for a friend, but I want <laughs> someone that actually works. Yeah, I get what you mean. Um, so in terms of people that, so people have asked me quite a few times, how do you create brand partnerships? Because we've done a few brand partnerships mm. for working ladies. Yeah. And so for people who are listening, um, who might be a small business or an influencer and they want to create a brand partnership, how would you suggest that they should go about pitching to brands? There's so many different ways that you what can What are the do important it? elements that they should I think the include? most important thing is making sure that there's some kind of an al- alignment. Um, what we were talking about earlier, how um, consumers are woke now and they are they have they know what they want. Um, I think that's the same with partnerships and especially on influencer marketing. The term influencer is generally hated by consumers. Like mm. there's so so many negative. There's yeah. so much research that um, shows that there's just a negative reaction to the, yeah. the word influencer. But at the same time, there's also research that says that the consumer likes influencer yes. posts. I think it's because <laughs> of the narrative that surrounds yeah. influencers that has been created. It, it's very negative, but at the same time, people don't necessarily hate the influencer. Yeah. They just hate the whole concept yeah. around it. And sometimes you're following people who you don't even know are actually influencers because you just assume that they don't have a large following, so they're yeah. not an influencer, but they actually have quite a lot of influence over your decision making um, which is quite interesting (laughs) anyone can be an influencer but can everyone influence yeah Um, but I think yeah the biggest thing is just making sure that there there is an alignment so it Mm. makes sense because I see a lot of partnerships that they do go through and you're just like what what was that but I think if you want it to be sustainable Mm. and then to go on to maybe continue the partnership or do something similar um, and you want your audience to enjoy it and actually get a good amount of engagement from it Mm. then it needs to make sense to you as a brand or you as an influencer you as a person I think starting from there not just doing it because you want to make some money but doing it because you want to make money but also you want to do something that builds you as a brand or helps you yeah um, align with a certain brand I think that's the biggest thing for me making sure things make sense and I think that's something I'm navigating at the moment because I'm trying to figure out my personal brand as like yeah. a what I want to represent and I talk a lot about diversity um because it's something I'm truly passionate about but then also I talk a lot about sustainability and so it's quite difficult to talk about that and then be approached by a brand who's like the worst and then they're offering you money and then you're like oh I, I really like the look of that money but I can't do it because <laughs> it, doesn't it doesn't align, align with, with my values, values. Yeah. Um, but I think that's an issue that a lot of people influencers brands whoever are dealing with at the moment and I think it's just yeah something that's really important yeah so regardless of what the amount is you should yeah. always consider do their values align with yours yeah. as a company or as an individual, individual. brand um, in the long run your audience is the 
kind of the key. Yeah. So if they don't see it as being a good alignment, then they'll, they'll tell you. Yeah. So this is the part of the show where we get a question from the FWR community. And we have a question from um, Fumi, and she's a little bit confused in her career. Hi, thanks so much for taking my question. I am 10 years into my current career. And as you can imagine, I've worked really hard and invested a lot of time and energy into getting to where I am currently. Um, But I am getting a little bit bored and don't really like the direction that the industry is going in. So I'd like to move into something else, into a new field. What is your advice? Should I stick with what I am currently doing, seeing as I've invested a lot of my time? Or should I stick with my gut instinct and move, um, even though it probably is likely that I'll have to start from ground zero, which I'm not really looking forward to in terms of a salary cut, etc. I'm really keen to hear your thoughts. I would say... If you can do, just if you could do something that allows you to get experience, maybe whilst you're working, that would be the best thing. I talk um, about this a lot. I've had a few people come up to me to be like, "Oh, I really want to get into marketing, you know, but I work in banking and I've never done it before. Um, what should I do?" And things I would say is do as many courses or go to as many workshops or talks as you can. So you, you're getting all the information. But then also, if you can, you know, do an internship on the side of your current role, um, or if you're in your current company and there's a way that you can access the new kind of career or industry you want to get in through that, maybe Mm. ask some questions. Um, I am the person that took a big leap into freelancing without thinking about it at all. And as much as it's worked out for me, I would never suggest anyone ever does it that way yeah. because um, it's just an unnecessary risk I'd say so I think unless you have loads of savings and you can sit back and rely on those that's great but if not then just try and think of ways that you can get the experience that you need so then maybe you don't really have to start right at the bottom mm. because I think and even doing side projects as well exactly that maybe focus on that particular yeah. industry Build so up you that mentioned portfolio. marketing if yeah. you can contact maybe some small brands or if you have friends that you can do marketing for then do that build up a portfolio 100% and it would actually make it much easier as a transition in that career space yeah don't just cut and go I think (laughs) figure because also you might do that and then you might not like it yeah so yeah get some experience um be that with a friend or you know find a friend online like make some new friends but yeah um that would be what I would say. Okay. So just wrapping up and coming to the end of the show, um, I know you've launched some new courses um, around influencer marketing and stuff, um, which is really interesting to see because I know you mentioned that you started off your career in e-learning. Mm-hmm. So that's really interesting to see. What else do you have planned for 7-6 in 2020? So I'm currently working on our strategy. Everything is kind of up in the air at the moment because I have so many ideas um, I just want to make sure that everything... I'm very impulsive, so I want to make sure that everything makes sense. But um, we'll be continuing with the courses next year, but they'll be slightly different. Okay. I'm just working on that at the moment um, with a few different people, so I'm really excited for that. We have a few events next year that will be going ahead. So we did a Notting Hill Carnival-focused event this year, which was a panel talk about kind of like the cultural relevance of Notting Hill Carnival. And it was really successful. And the um, Notting Hill Carnival 
um, board loved it. So we're talking about what we can do next year. I hosted a sustainability event with an influencer called Bianca Foley last year. That was really good. And we're talking about, well, we are um, hosting a series next year. So we're just talking with brands at the moment to see who we're going to partner with. So that should be really exciting. Um, and yeah, there's just lots of interesting events and hopefully a birthday party. You know, I love a party. <laughs> and it's my 30th next year. So oh, it will be three very zero. <laughs> yeah. yeah, combined. But um, yeah, there's lots in my head. There's a lot happening, but I need to put it down on paper to make sure that it makes sense for the year. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, If people want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Uh, They can find me mainly on Instagram. I'm Charlotte76 or you can follow 76 Agency. All right. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been brilliant having you and wishing you the best for 2020. Thank you. Well, that's it for this episode of How I Made It Happen. For more inspiring stories, visit our website, forworkingladies.com. Sign up to our newsletter and keep an eye out for our next event. Before you go, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please like and subscribe and also leave a review as it helps in finding our podcast more easily. Thanks for listening. Thank you.